Hello, I'm Amelia, a publishing assistant here at the British Ecological Society. I'm delighted to be talking to Dr. Perpetra Akite today. Perpetra is an ecologist and lecturer at the University of Makerere in Kampala, Uganda. She specialises in entomology and has extensive experience in biodiversity assessment and the use of indicator species and taxa. Much of her research considers how insects respond to their environment and their role in maintaining ecological balance. Perpetra, welcome. Many thanks for joining me today. How are you? Thank you so much, Amelia. I'm, I'm well, thank you. And uh, it's a pleasure to join you on this talk. Thank you so much. I'm really looking forward to hearing about your experiences today. Um, so you've previously written a blog post for us. And in this blog post, you describe how your interest in ecology began at the age of three when you joined your father in his garden. Could you tell us a little bit more about this and how you decided to pursue a career in academia? Um, thank you. Um, that's the beautiful thing about growing up in a rural area. So I was born in a small town in northern Uganda. And from back then, it was really, really rural. You know, no an area with no electricity, uh, no flowing water or anything. And so everything we got was almost from nature. So we used to get wood from, uh, you know, wood fuel from the bushes. We get uh, water from wells. And because of that, you're always venturing out and going into, you know, the, the villages. And uh, the livelihood then was basically agriculture, although it's still the case even today. Uh, and But that gave me a lot of opportunity to just be out in the, you know, in the gardens. And... I used to just go and sit there, you know, watch my father dig. I was not doing much of anything. Sometimes I would take for him a cup of tea, a cup of coffee that my mom had made. But then I would sit there, follow him like a chicken following somebody dropping some seed. <laughs> and because when he dug out the soil, some of the cocoons, especially I think later I got to know they were of moth, they would be dug out. And, I, you know, being a playful child, I just go out, pick, collected all these, but then I noticed they were moving. And 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 I, out of curiosity, I'm thinking, what is this? You know, you kind of touch it a little more and then it's moving. And I remember my best experience was just collecting these cocoons, not thinking about what this is all about. And by instinct, I just got a, a broken basin, put them there, got soil and covered them. And I didn't know that this was all their life cycle, that they needed the soil to be paid or, you know, because I saw it dug out. It was just almost by accident. And I remember putting it somewhere, but a few months down the road, something beautiful came out and I was impressed. It was such a beautiful thing to watch. And then I picked also some books from my older siblings who had gone to secondary school and they were doing biology. Whenever we look at the biology book, it was something relatable. I could see the plants drawn there. I could see the insects drawn there. I could see the animals drawn there. And it was just something so interesting. And from then, I just became more and more curious about what was around me. And the beautiful thing was, my dad, I think he knew what was dangerous, what was not dangerous. So when I would venture out to pick something more than the insects, for example, I had a snake, I had a pet snake. 
but he knew it was okay for me to keep the snake because he knew it was not the poisonous type. And then I had to start picking monkeys and everything. I wanted everything with me. But thank God that our home was basically still in a very wild area. So I saw everything, you know, I saw much of uh, wild animals just around us. So, and, and this kept on going. And I remember one moment I told my dad, when I grow up, I want to be a biologist, but I didn't have a clue what biology was. It was from just the book. <laughs> it was just from the book that I want, I want to be a biologist. And he was, a, he was an, uh, an accountant. And I, re I remember one time I told him, I don't want to be an accountant like you, but I want to be a biologist. <laughs> and so you've stuck with entomology. We, as we've mentioned, you're an experienced entomologist. Um, what is it about insects that interests you so much? And why do you think they're so important? Insects, wow. I don't know. I mean, people call me an insect. Whenever they introduce me, they just say, this is a kitty the insect, and it <laughs> makes me happy. <laughs> Being called a kitty the insect is very nice. I stuck with insects. One, um, still through uh, growing up, my father was also a beekeeper, and I remember I used to fight for the biggest hive, you know, the biggest hive. Uh, whenever he brought some to be put out, I always thought the biggest one was mine. And he would allow that. But then later, it was interesting because he says, now you have to go and get the honey from your hive if you fought for it. And I was too short to be able to reach out the hives which were hung up. And sometimes he would take stools. And then I think he wanted us to have an experience of being actually stung by the bees, which we did a lot. Oh, my gosh. But the, but the insects are just fascinating. Um, everywhere you turn, there were insects. I had wasps in our goat houses. Even in the in the main house, you will have those wasps there. Uh, some of the relatives of the insects, like the spiders, were always there with this a nice spinning of the web. There was always something fascinating about the insect. When you find them making trails, for example, the dorilas, and you find them making trails, and then you see all these guards along, you know, along the, the, the edges, and they're cutting their things. But also later, you know, when I grew up, um we come from a christian family and i start to read the bible and the most fascinating stories in the bible about the resilience of insects you know there was a lot to learn from the insects how to survive all these things and that also kept the interest going but also people they had some insects that they used to eat you know and uh, it was wonderful to go out in the night with some lights on the grass to collect termites you know it was a uh, a seasonal thing but when the season came it was such a beautiful time and you just go over and you know collect the termites or we get the grasshoppers tie some some threads on them and call them our help you know airplanes so you try to get the you know a grasshopper to jump off with your something hooked on it and that was our airplanes you know in my village so yes the fascination with all the diversity became very good and then of course the life cycle it, it, it just it was very fascinating that what was looking uh, like an egg or became a caterpillar and then suddenly became something different. That was definitely something that drove my curiosity about insects. And I had no idea what this is all about. But of course, later when you learn, then you, you go back and reflect where you came from. And for me, that always going back has, kept me, has just sort of kept me going, you know, yeah. Was it interesting, so as you were sort of going through your studies and then becoming 
an experienced academic, being able to look back at those really fond childhood memories and be able to explain them from like a scientific perspective. Um, what was that like? Oh, it's, it was it was a beautiful thing. You know, it's it just merging my past, um, you know, just my childhood memory and then putting it in the scientific context. I think that's what has kept me actually going in ecology because it is very relatable. It's no longer an abstract. So for me, taking that abstract world from my childhood and putting it in a scientific you know, perspective has been basically my bedrock. And so every time I'm looking back, I have had opportunity to go back to my childhood areas, some which are existing and relive some of my childhood days and in a more scientific way. So it's really, really great. And uh, I think it can only make me a better ecologist because I, I possibly practice or do it from the know rather than just something which I'm learning from a textbook and yeah. then maybe trying to figure out what is this, you know. For me, what it is is already there in my, you know, in my intellect. And so I'm just trying to put the scientific angle to it now. What are your current research interests? What's the work that you're doing at the moment? Uh, at the moment, I actually have two uh, kind of contrasting uh, projects going on. Uh, one of them is uh, basically just looking at, uh, you know, diversity of moth on, on Mount Renzori. Uh, Mount Renzori is uh, one of those uh, mountains in Africa, you know, right at the equator, but with glaciers on top, which mm -hmm. is quite fascinating. So zero temperature, you know, all these freezing temperatures. And, and so we're looking at uh, the elevational uh, change especially in the perspective of climate change, but also just some aspect of, you know, human land use, especially on the lower elevations. So um, I'm working on that uh, with a big team. Uh, of course, we're having, uh, you know, big data set, which we need to, first of all, get everything identified, which is actually very interesting, you know, being just able to see a new thing in itself is so interesting. Um, the other project I'm running uh, right now, where I'm actually heading is... Um, Looking at forage, uh, there is a, a, a species of stingless bees that uh, mm -hmm. has been domesticated in uh, just recent years. And uh, unlike um, the honeybee, you know, there's, uh, these bees, of course, uh, don't sting, which is great. And we were looking at it as, uh, you know, you think about all this human population, urbanization, and, uh, you know, all these aspects of human development that are coming and then how can we use our insects to solve some of the, you know, problems that we face. For example, livelihoods, food, medicine, and these um, stingless bees have always been used locally in northern Uganda, in western Uganda, and the products have always been very um, vital for certain uh, ailments. So uh, we got these bees domesticated, and now, as a way of upscaling the enterprise, we wanted to know what are the forage that these bees actually visit. If, for example, we are going to say now we can roll this as a project in Kampala, given that they don't sting, so there's no conflict with uh, people being worried from, uh, you know, like honeybees stinging. If you put honeybees in your backyard, your neighbor will definitely have a problem with you. <laughs> but if you put this thing less bees, you're good to go. And so we want to roll this out as a big uh, enterprise. And we need to know the forage. So we are basically doing 
uh, field studies to see what are the plants and what are the different kind of flowers that these bees are visiting. But we are also doing it from a, a laboratory perspective. So we look at the pollen in the honey, pollen in the propolis. So a lot of microscopic uh, work going on right now. And it's actually very interesting, you know. On Friday, I was looking through the microscope, taking all these uh, photos and just looking, oh, that is this plant, you know, family here in this pollen and I mean in the honey. And yeah, it's getting very interesting. It sounds like you must have an incredibly varied job. So you do a lot of field work and then you're in the lab as well. That sounds amazing. Um, and that's the other thing about ecology in Africa that you tell, you end up being so many things, <laughs> you know, because, uh, yeah, you, you are not very many. So you end up being in so many places. You're doing so many things. So I'm torn between, you know, one day you're working with this group of insects. Another day you're in this group of insects and another day you're in another one, you know. Yeah, but I do all uh, I do uh, research on several insect groups anyway. Just not, uh, um, but the focus also lately, you know, we are trying. They're trying everything. Can you turn your science into some products and uh, turn science into some, you know, tangible, um, you know, resource or or business for communities? I mean, it's a good thing. But uh, from my perspective, I start with ecology, which is a very very important field. You cannot uh, domesticate these bees if you don't know their ecology. You cannot breed any other insects for food if you don't know their ecology. So basically, for me, my strong point is always on ecology. So this is mostly all ecology anyway. So it's interesting. So with that in mind, what are your future directions for research? What would you like to be doing in, let's say, five, ten years? Is it the area that you're looking at now or is it something else? There's so much. Uh, when it comes to insects, you can never exhaust. <laughs> Being adequate, I think, has made it quite interesting for us. There's so much to study. Uh, but uh, definitely uh, several uh, things I would want. Um, for example, um, getting these insects, I mean, translating all this insect information, nice science about insects, all nice science about ecology, into something tangible for different communities where the different insects, for example, are found. So if I can help a community somewhere next to a forest to be able to be breeding, you know, by maybe butterflies, which can be both for conservation as well as some livelihood, uh, that would be great. Uh, but personally, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get um, one of my biggest, biggest dream that before I step aside one way or the other is to really get Uganda to have its natural history collection. That is something we are still lacking very greatly. And the last 10 years I've been struggling and building up this collection and building up this collection has been challenging. And of course, once we build a collection, then we can also make it um, more accessible, maybe, you know, be able to get our field guides in place. I mean, it's a shame that, you know, we have this wonderful biodiversity here and we don't even have the local resource to identify some of them you know so for me this is where i want to move in the next 10 years and if i can get this in place i'll be a very happy person so as you know this podcast is part of our series for black history month where we're celebrating the work of black ecologists around the world um, how would you describe the impact of being part of the black community on your academic career 
one of the most interesting thing uh, which has happened just in the last uh, recent uh, you know years is um, you know when I got into the university uh, by of course I've got into university but I've always been around uh, university community uh, but I found it quite interesting that uh, taking the field of ecology has been something of a very big encouragement to the younger uh, the younger people um, they find it they find me a lot relatable you know and having me there make a lot of people think oh if she's she can make it then i can make it and at, at first it didn't seem like a big thing but when i sit back and look at it definitely it's a big thing and i started also to look back at who was it that i looked so much to when i was going through especially from my university years when i joined the university I remember, you know, encountering some people at the university would definitely become stepping stones for me to to really uh, carry on with the with the, you know within the field of ecology because it's not ecology definitely is quite a difficult field for a lot of Africans I would say this and more so African women it's been quite encouraging for a lot of uh, you know the younger people. Uh, the younger ladies to look out and say, you know, it's possible, you can do this, you can actually succeed. Um, also, uh, the other thing, of course, people think by being in ecology, you're not going to get a, a job, you know, Bachelor of Science uh, field, especially this is basic science. People have misconception about it. But when they see you've gone ahead and actually got a career, and a, an interesting career, it's, you know, it's something, uh, I have a lot of things I do, and uh, those were things which they considered possibly only done by people from Europe or people from America, you know? Yeah. But uh, when they see somebody who look exactly like them do it, it becomes uh, such a, an encouragement, you know? And so because of that, you, you know, you want to stay on, you know, even when you felt maybe at one point is, you know, you wanted to give up because of one thing or the other, you just want to keep going because suddenly there are so many eyes looking to you and you become, uh, you know, a, be a bedrock for other people. So you've touched upon this in your 2020 blog post. You have this incredibly striking quote where you say, Sir Isaac Newton eminently put it, if I can see further, it is because I'm standing on the shoulders of giants. In my country, and possibly across many developing countries, there is an obvious lack of these giants. Yeah. Do you think that this lack of representation is a barrier for many black ecologists? And what do you think can be done to improve representation in ecology? I think uh, this is this is actually a two-way, uh, you know, it's like the gains, there are gains, and then there are also definitely losses. I think that's quite healthy. Um, Ten years ago, um, there was, uh, I remember there was a time when there was a lot of interest groups that had come together and trying to, you know, but these groups, you know, one of the challenges is how do you keep it going? We see associations, you can build associations and say, oh, we want to be together like women in biology, women in science, but then it's very difficult to sustain it. And part of it, uh, I mean, it's quite, uh, it's always uh, one person moves away or goes to even just going to another upcountry district. And then suddenly, you know, you kind of get disintegrated. But Yes, I want to think uh, in the last 10 years, maybe we have trained a little more people in uh, a little more people at especially a graduate level 
Uh, but the challenge of people taking up ecology has not ceased. It is still there. It's challenging to get a, a, a job in ecology, especially in our country where, uh, yes, we have a few conservation uh, organizations, but the level at which the, this particular kind of expertise are absorbed within these institutions is very low. And so many people become very discouraged. And instead of taking up some job or some career, you know, prospects within the ecology, they go for other fields. So they go into technology, they go into business, things where they can fit very easily. And uh, because of that, so you have this uh, kind of an up and down, up and down, you know, at one point you think you've really made a gain and then suddenly you're at the bottom and then you're like, how do I get up from there again? Uh, but, you know, it's, it's, it's a fight worth fighting and uh, we've kept going and uh, we've got a few more giants, I want to think. And yes, I'm, you know, 10 years ago I was climbing on giants and today I stand there almost as another giant that somebody else can climb. And I'm happy because I have a, a number of people that I'm trying to bring through the system. So they will also become other giants tomorrow. And um, But one of the challenges which definitely make this kind of uh, uh, career move very difficult, uh, some of the resources, you know, we have resource needs are there. Um, most of our graduate students, in, uh, in, in, like for example, in Uganda here in my university, have to pay for themselves. And that's quite very discouraging. Um, it's expensive. And so some of them, even when they want to remain, they would have exhausted all their resources and they just feel like, I don't even know what else to do with this you know, degree. You, they get this degree and first they won't be absorbed anywhere else. And then they had to pay, you know, I, I, I had the I had opportunity to study outside Uganda, so I know that most of the graduate uh, study levels definitely will end up being funded, or if there's a system where you can get a, a government loan, we don't have that pretty much here. So it makes it very difficult, you know. So the funding definitely is challenging people, uh, you know, remaining within ecology field. Um, I, like I said, in the next 10 years, I would want to have some local content materials available that can be used. And that's also the other one big challenge. Most of our materials we are using will come from somewhere else. And uh, when people don't have local content, there's a bit of a disconnect. You know, I was able to relate with insects because I practically saw them. I was able to go back there because I know this is a reality. It's not something I've read from another textbook. But if I... I'm able to put a textbook that is so local and people can encounter this and they can relate to it. That's also another way of actually keeping people interested in ecology and building more, you know, uh, more of a, more, 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 more human resource within the field, really. You have stressed that if you could do your career again, if you could go back and decide what career you're going to pursue again, you'd still pursue a career in ecology. Are there any aspects of your academic career and your personal journey as a black ecologist that you want to share to encourage other people to get into ecology? Yes, I would, I would still choose ecology because, and I, I, I and now um, when I later learned, you know, I said, I always told people, if I, if I grew up in Europe, I would be the ecologist I am today without having to have all the struggles. You know, like I go through our school system. You learn so much that you actually don't necessarily need. And 
and then because uh, in our in our education system, like I mentioned earlier, you know, you are if you're in science, you're basically being uh, raised to become a medical doctor. You're being raised to be a, an agriculturist or a teacher. Those those very particular professional jobs. So by the time you come and do a bachelor of science in science, and people are saying, "Oh, you've done a degree that has no job. You've done a degree that is flat," and then for me, looking back, I was so happy. I was so happy I got back to ecology because it's the one thing that I can just wake up one morning and I would do without blinking, you know. So um, one of the things I tell people that ecology and basically biology has made me enjoy life without having to pay, you know, because when I'm out in the field, I am happiest, which I think everybody wants to be happy in life. Mm. But also, you know, the environment, if you see what nature, the, what we gain from nature without having it as a monetary gain, it's just so beautiful. And I have been trying to encourage many people because when I go out in the field and just watch something doing, you know, maybe an insect or an animal doing something, it just takes me away from this very tense, you know, environment and focuses me on something beautiful. And it's just amazing. It's just amazing. And for me, I tell, uh, like now I teach, I have a course I teach, which is Introduction to Entomology. One of the things I teach in that course is basically career in entomology. So I just speak to students about career entomology. And I tell them, we have so many insects, and that is as many as there are careers out there. So you can just choose. Mm -hmm. And you can never be jobless if you go in the world of insects because there are so many and thank god in uganda they are not yet that much studied so everybody going into entomology can have an opportunity you know um i have my own experience which i share with them i didn't have to go into employment immediately after my 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 bachelor's i just attach myself on different projects as a a volunteer or a, you know or an intern here and i kept going and Everything just kept getting better and better and better and better. And I got very interested until when I found my own footing, you know. And that was really, really good for me. And I think it's also good for any other person who is aspiring. Uh, that if you are, if you like to have a challenging profession, you're welcome to ecology. <laughs> <laughs> if you are the kind who like challenges, just join ecology. Every single day will be a nice challenge to face. Have you got a happiest memory from your field work or your lecturing work? Oh, these are so many, so many, so many, so many. Just being able to, you know, sleep in the bush. <laughs> these are really nice things, you know. Uh, people don't want to believe that you can sleep in a national park where there are lions in a tent. Uh, but I, I remember one very interesting thing about my research in, uh, at my master's. I went out to this very rural part of Uganda and I just asked one person in a home, I said, can I put my tent in your compound? Because I wanted to be near uh, some forest reserve and we had very bad roads, so you can't be on road every day. And he said, but I don't have accommodation. We don't have any kind of accommodation for anyone. I said, I have my own accommodation. And uh, yeah, so later I, I got out my tent, I got down the tents and we placed out the tents. And he had never seen a tent. And he kept looking and wondering, okay, will, can this thing actually like keep somebody? And just to prove it, 
the heavens opened at night, you know, when we were sleeping and then there was a heavy downpour. And it was in the morning when this gentleman told me he did not sleep because he kept, all the time he woke up and kept thinking, how did I accept somebody to come and die in my compound and tomorrow <laughs> I'm going to have problems? Because he didn't want to think that that small tent could survive this storm. But when he saw me in the morning, it was so interesting that he had to go inside the tent and touch with his hand to see if it was not flooded. And he just found everything wet. Everything was intact. And then he's like, this is a miracle. Wow. <laughs> and relieved. And he was very relieved that we were alive. And then he went to the center and he was telling everybody about this story, you know, like there is some small thing they put in my compound where people can sleep at night and they don't even get wet. <laughs> yeah, but uh, in the field, we have had a lot of encounters, you know, encounters with snake. I remember one time I was just walking, I'm looking for my insects. And then, of course, uh, I was only with a ranger and she was walking a few uh, meters behind me. And then I saw a python. It was trying to scout, uh, you know, one of the antelopes. But when I came, it, it just put down his head. And I could see it because it's so big. You know, a python is such a big thing. And I just walked past it. But because there was a gap between me and the ranger, as soon as I passed, the python now started to try to scout me instead. Oh, my so god! So the ranger saw it lifting the head and, like, trying to go towards me, you know, from behind. And then she made a move again. Of course, it, would, it went down again. And it was something interesting when she said, oh, the python now was thinking you had, you know, you became the antelope it was looking out for. <laughs> Were you ever scared? Did you ever find it scary being out no. in such an open environment? One of the strangest things about me is that besides loving insects, I actually love snakes a lot. Mm. I happen to have come from a place, we also had a lot of snakes. And uh, yeah, it was, uh, I saw a lot of snakes. I I got to know snakes uh, from just the local knowledge, what is what is poisonous, what is not poisonous. And because of that, I just didn't have to develop fear for snakes. So, yeah, it wasn't so, it wasn't scary at all. But it, I mean, we just laugh over it. Like, yeah. You know, but a lot of people wouldn't, I know. <laughs> so, we've touched on earlier um, issues about a lack of role models in ecology and also funding opportunities. Yeah. If you could see one change in academia to positively impact black ecologists, what would it be? There is a lot of things that is challenging uh, black ecology. Um, for my field, the biggest challenge is something which a lot of people may not notice if you come from another part of the world, which is basically the taxonomy. And uh, so this has definitely, because uh, it's a field that needs a lot of high, you know, specialization, people tend not to take it up. And I don't have mentors in this field. I mean, uh, mentees in this field because of, you know, it's, it's, it's challenging for people to stay mm -hmm. on. But uh, one of the things, um, when we think about black ecologies and how to improve them, you know, like lately the whole world is talking about collaboration. I like but I always ask people, can we define what this collaboration is? You know, um, we talk about equality. There are two words which I'm still trying to understand as far as even ecology is concerned. Mm -hmm. Equality and collaboration. When I say a collaboration, I mean, what is it? Um, 
I've, I have collaborators, but sometimes, you know, some of the collaborations are just like, okay, somebody will give me money from somewhere. We don't have money. I've said no funding. Okay, so somebody gives me funding. But is it just a matter of give me funding and then mm -hmm. I do the other bit of work? Or should we actually get this funding and work together? You see? And for me, that is important. So the aspect of working together is very important. Not just get the funding and say, oh, it can mm -hmm. be shared out. So for me as a black ecologist, I, what is it that I need? Uh, today, if I look at uh, the case at where I am, uh, you know, in the university and even the basic equipment are missing. And yet in another place, the basic equipment don't actually matter. For me, that is something that I would want. You see, it looks basic, but that's what I possibly want. And, and, and the biggest challenge, so what has mm -hmm. challenged ecology in Africa, especially when it comes to, uh, you know, we have a very biodiverse uh, community, you know, of, of animals and everything. How to even get it recorded alone is a task, you see. And, and if we cannot get any collaboration to actually document what is on ground, uh, we might be jumping on a bandwagon. I always uh, tell, uh, say this to the people uh, who are working cons our mostly our conservation uh, bodies and people who are at the level of policy. I say it is one thing to say, you know, to to bring policies about conservation and uh, and maybe some utilization as aspect of it because we want to factor in livelihoods. But my question is, do we know what we are conserving? Mm -hmm. Or do we know what we, sustain, we want to sustainably utilize? And until we can actually have that on table, there is always go, ecology in Africa is going to lag behind because that's basically a very big challenge across every taxa. You know, it gets more complicated when it comes to our small friends, the insects. And yet, if you think about the ecological roles and how important they are, then we cannot actually just sit and wait. Yeah. What do you think the global ecological community and just scientific community can do to help? Um, what changes do you think are needed in the way that we work and that we research? Um, ecology need to get back to basic. I think there is what they call basic ecology. Um, I think you'll agree with me that the pace at which, uh, you know, of course, if you see from the global north, the pace at which ecology or, or the direction in which ecology has taken is so high tech, you know, it's extremely high tech. And you sit at all these big conferences, maybe in Europe, and you're looking and thinking, wow, this is all ecology as well, you know. But that is something which the technology is good. So, yes, one of the things we need is, of course, uh, ecology to uh, collaborate with, uh, I, I would want a complementarity with other fields. Because I think that has been one of the greatest challenge uh, of ecology in Africa as well. That um, on one side we have humanity and the human needs, and then we have ecology. But basically the humans need ecolo ecological resource to sustain that. And there's always a big divide because the two fields will not speak. So when you come, you want to take some animals. I'm such a conservationist, you know, I'm, I'm trying to defend. And then you are there 
you cannot starve. You know, there's no way you're going to allow this population to starve. But how can we find the middle ground? So that collaboration or co complementarity of the different fields that support ecology is needed. So for us in uh, in the global south, the technological support, um, you know, whether it is also integrating technology in ecology, that is still definitely lagging behind a lot. Um, the nature, uh, the approach of education, you know, how we uh, train in ecology is equally lagging behind, you know. Um, also, um, of course, one of the things because, uh, you know, in, uh, in for example, in, uh, we, are, we are all being asked, can you turn your science into a product? It is one thing to turn the science into a product, but then there is not much time to do research. We are always like you're just you're just trying something now, but also there is another world that is already demanding for the product there and then. And because of that, sometimes you end up with things that are not quality enough. And if you send out a product that is not of quality, that dents the entire image of where it's come from. And always ecology, you know, all ecological studies end up being the fate, you know, suffering this fate. The support definitely comes in many forms. Uh, so the collaboration will be needed, the funding will be needed, the resources will be needed, even when it is just the basic uh, resources. And that's because for me, uh, what I tell people about ecology is that it doesn't matter who you are. You, if you're rich, if you're poor, if you're... If you're white, if you're black, we all need nature. You see, we all need nature and we all depend on nature. And then sometimes people say, oh, I don't depend on nature. Yes, you do. Because the oxygen you breathe alone is coming from the plants. The plants have to be pollinated by some insects in order for the plant population to keep on going. And so we all need nature, you know. Mm -hmm. And if we all need nature, then we must all put our effort in trying to save the one thing that we all need. And that is basically the ecology world. So we're coming towards the end of our podcast today. Before we finish, I'd like to ask you two questions. So first of all, who are your role models within ecology, but in your life as a whole as well? Okay, role models. I've been very lucky to, to meet some of the best in the field of ecology. Um, right from when I joined university, I had, uh, I had one teacher, Professor William Banage, uh, later, I got to know he was actually like the first, he was the first uh, uh, African to get a first class degree in zoology. Wow, that was uh, amazing. And I remember sitting in his class and arguing a lot, especially about, we started with evolution and all these things. And I remember one statement he told me, young woman, don't forget I'm a professor. And I just said, yes, I know and I want to be like you. So... And today we are very good friends, which is great. He's been a mentor through and through. Um, Professor Derek Pomeroy is uh, he's always he's, he's, a, he's like a, a father of ecologists in Africa, uh, in Uganda. There's no ecologist in Uganda he has not taught. We've all gone through his hands and uh, yeah, always laboring, reading through some of most of my documents, encouraging me to take opportunities. I had actually a lady, a professor, she sadly passed on um, last year. And she actually started the Women in Science, you know, Women in Science group. And I remember her taking me to that meeting. 
And I just sat looking at all these women. You know, they all looked so much achievers and everything. And she was very particular in the way she did her things. And I looked at Professor Dranzo and I said, wow, this woman is just too brilliant. You know, she was definitely a force to reckon with. And yeah, I keep celebrating her even when she's not here. She, she was such a great role model. Um, at my PhD, I was, uh, my project was led by Professor Vigdis Van Vick from uh, University of uh, Bergen in Norway. Wow, she's a wonderful ecologist. And she's looked out for me. She's uh, encouraged me. She's, wow, she's just sort of picked me up and kicked me the right, the right direction. You know, there are so many words we used to share during my studentship. And I keep talking about them up to today because they've still remain like the drive. And I've also met people in entomology, uh, Professor Helen Roy, you know, from CEH. Uh, I first met her at a butterfly conference many yeah. years ago where, you know, I just showed up there and ended up being the only black face. <laughs> it was very interesting. And I'm thinking, oh, how did they get here, you know, in Southampton? It was very interesting. And then several people were asking, how did you get here? You know, because getting the place in Southampton was difficult even for someone who had gone from London. And here I was from Uganda and I'd arrived, you know. Yeah, and uh, since I met her back then, to date, you know, from 2005 to date, we are friends. Uh, but uh, also um, be, uh, being a teacher, the one mentor that has given me, I want to think given me the best opportunity as well has been uh, Rosie. She's called Rosie Travelin. She's the head of, uh, she heads a Tropical Biology Association. She's based in Cambridge. And this is a course that is run every, it used to be run every year. We are just returning after COVID. And this is an amazing course that has, uh, you know, get students from across the world. And all we do for a whole month is talk about conservation and ecology and ecology and ecology. And this has left a very big footprint in the life of ecologists in Africa, definitely. And uh, it's also the other platform that has just for the best, one of the best collaborations. And this course, you know, so definitely this has been an opportunity. And yes, Rosie has been a very great mentor for a lot of, uh, you know, young women in Africa. And she's always ensured that even when she, it is not just about the North-South, she's forged the South-South collaboration there are local mentor mentees program within Africa now, so it's such a it's an amazing thing. Finally, Perpetua, we've talked a lot about this idea of collaboration today, and you've told us what you think makes an effective collaboration. What I'd like to ask you is: Are there any collaborators, or peers, colleagues, or maybe even students who are doing work that you really admire that you'd like to shout out now? Yeah, there are many. I I have so many students now, especially across East Africa. Yes, uh, there are particular ones. So somebody, um, I have uh, a mentee, Esther, Esther Tolowa. When I first met her, you know, a very timid undergraduate student and uh, yeah, and I just took her on and seeing who she has become today. Wow, I am actually amazed. She's so much into aspects of insect taxonomy as well, you know. She's so good with all these little things, you know, like she's just so driven in there. 
And I really want to encourage, I want to keep encouraging her. She's already done her master's degree. Every day I'm telling her, you need to do your PhD. And then we laugh about it. But Esther has definitely been a great, great peer and a great mentee. Um, I have uh, another peer. Uh, we, we first met at a, at a course, uh, Margaret Award. She's now uh, an assistant professor in the University of Bern in Switzerland. And we talk nothing but ecology. We just always we're always trying to find you know ecological problems to deal with, but we are great friends too. And definitely that is somebody with I know for a fact that even when she's not into entomology, but at least she's into is ecology. So ecology is ecology, and yeah, we keep talking a lot about things, how to find solutions for Africa. Actually, you know, African ecologies. That's something we are very much passionate about. Um, I have a colleague, a friend in Ghana, Gladys, you know, quiet. She's such a, a determined woman, you know, extremely determined uh, woman. She's a great botanist. And we always joke and say, well, the botan, you know, these plants need the insects. The insects need the plants. So we have to kiss both of them, you know. Um, I have so many. And, you know, right now I have, last year I had the pleasure of teaching a class. And I was teaching them conservation, education, and advocacy. And I remember just giving out these questions, like abstract questions. For example, tasks belong to elephants, uh, save the crane, or ask them, you know, no rice growing in a wetland. And the day we had the presentation, I have never seen such a vibrant group of students. Everybody was so engaged. It was like a campaign. I remember one of my colleagues saying, I had this and I thought students were campaigning in the class, but only to come and find that they were all charged up. And so this semester, they turn up to me and say, we want to start an association of conservation. Uh, we want to start an association for advocacy, you know, within our unit. And we want you to be our patron. And I'm thinking, wow, this is just one, you know, a short term lecture and they're already motivated. And I was so happy because after that class, they started to practice their advocacy right away. They got up one day and they wanted to do all the cleaning, you know, like take all the plastics from around, you know, around our, our department and make sure everything was cleaned up. And I said, wow, this is really another reason to keep going. So I'm really looking forward to engaging the next set of students in that course. And this definitely will become ecologist. Dr. Perpetra Akite, thank you so much for speaking to me today. It's been wonderful to hear from you. Thank you.